On this episode, we're joined by Nick Bennett, who is the Chief Technology and Operations Officer at Castle Trust Bank. So today we're going to discuss their plans for rolling out new digital products and his view on the now, next and future of digital banking technology. So Nick, firstly, thank you for joining us. For those that aren't familiar with uh, Castle Trust, can you give us a bit of background about the bank? Yeah, so Castle Trust is a, um, it's a kind of mixture of two things, really. it's a kind of neobank. Mm -hmm. So we've been a bank for under two years, mm -hmm. uh, combining that with an established and growing sort of lending proposition. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And Castle Trust combines essentially three propositions. So we have a consumer finance business called Omni, mm -hmm. and we lend to pretty much any sector from home improvement loans, retail, medical, which obviously is very relevant at the moment. And mm -hmm. um, we do that through a whole range of different retailers and brokers. We've got about 2,500 retailer relationships. So it's all B2B, and we're lending to those. And obviously at the moment, given the way the market's evolving, that's a really phenomenally strong growth proposition for us. Mm -hmm. And then we have a property business, which is looking at essentially, it's very specialized. It's not your vanilla high street lending. We're not competing with HSBC or Santander, but we're offering a range of different specialist mortgage products, mm -hmm. bike to let, holiday let, bridging, development finance, and so on. And then the other component now we're a bank is we've got a range of different savings propositions. So we mm -hmm. offer both ISA and non-ISA. Mm -hmm. So these are the three businesses and you know we're going into a really nice growth phase at the moment. And so there's a lot of focus on how do we develop the business? How do we use technologies and enable it to grow those businesses? And yeah, it's a fantastic time to be at Castle Trust. Sounds exciting stuff. Well, before we sort of dive into that in a bit more depth, what's your personal background? So I'm, uh, uh, I've got a sort of varied career. So I've got, I started out in consulting. So I was at Accenture and EY, um, traveled quite a lot, got that out of my system. Uh, and I moved into banking. Uh, I was part of the team that acquired Abbey National. So I was in the center of their team that acquired okay. Abbey National. And we went on, and I was then part of a team that essentially went through a series of acquisitions and integrations to build out a mm. retail bank from a series of building societies, essentially. And then I moved into the kind of SME and corporate bank at Santander. And that was the point when I got approached to join Tandem. So Tandem mm -hmm. is a new digital bank. This is in 2016. And as you, as you recall, there's a wave of excitement around neobanks, digital banks. So mm -hmm. I, was, I had the opportunity to kind of go in as a COO for Tandem. And I was there for four and a half years helping develop and grow that business pretty much from scratch. This is kind of like the point we got the banking license all the way through a series of acquisitions we did. And also kind of we developed out some distinctive propositions, particularly around credit. Mm -hmm which is something we firmly believe was going to be the sweet spot for neobanks. Mm -hmm. And it's from there, you know, I moved into Castle Trust in the last year. Again, the same reason. I think I've worked in lots of different businesses, but I, I realized that I much prefer to be in a growth-focused business where mm -hmm. there's something that you're developing, you're growing, you've yes. got an opportunity to really innovate, to really kind of attack the market in a very different way to a bigger mm -hmm. incumbent, like arguably Santa but certainly the bigger banks where mm -hmm. there is that opportunity, but it tends to be constrained by legacy Issues, whether that's the proposition, the platform, or the culture. Yes. And so I do, I much prefer being in that mm -hmm. growth dynamic that you find at Castle Trust. Sounds good. It must have been quite a, a Santander to Tandem, quite a, 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 you know, I guess a culture shock and a, yeah. you know, a different journey. Um, yeah, I mean, it's on every level, right? Because part of it's like you as a leader, you have to kind of almost change your learning and your leadership style. Um, so a lot of the kind of corporates sort of personas and sort of processes, you just don't have any of that. Mm. So you have to think about that in a very different way. But also I think with that, I found you develop a much more authentic leadership style. Mm -hmm. um, and you have to, it has to be much more personal in terms of how you lead teams and develop teams. Mm. There's much less of the structure that goes with the corporate, which can be good, can be bad, but I, I really enjoyed that. And then the other element was just the fact that there's no institutional memory. There's nothing, mm. most of the time you're encountering an issue or problem for the first time. Yes. And that can be fun. It's, you know, most of us that build businesses um, have, love that experience, yes. but it can be quite daunting when pretty much every time you're encountering a problem, you're having to attack it for the first time. Yes, yes. 
And I guess coming to Cast Cross now, it's an interesting, we came at quite an interesting time. Um, I think the business had been around for upwards of a decade mm -hmm. uh, uh, in, a, in a slightly different form. Got his banking license reasonably recently. Um, so yeah, quite an almost between the two, I guess, in a sense. Um, so in terms of the, the ambitions for the next sort of phase of Castle Trust digital proposition, really, can you share any of those ambitions and some of that vision? Yeah. So I think I'll, I'll um, maybe if I talk a little bit about how we, how we see differentiation in the market and then what are we going to do from a product point of view. So I think from a differentiation perspective, obviously our, the way we differentiate is very much conditioned by the markets and the segments we're in. Mm -hmm. So I think for us, it's about... Um, you know, we, we want to continue to offer real great value for our customers. That's really important. We provide real value. So examples of that within Omni, within our consumer funds business, 70% of all our lending is interest-free. Okay. So it's phenomenal value for our consumers mm. and our customers. Same thing on savings. We offer top-of-rate savings products. Mm. So I think being offering value, you know, not just price, but offering value is really important. I think the second is, is building out high-class digital journeys. Um, so we're not, we don't have any branches. We don't intend to have any branches. For us, a lot of what we're going to do is online, digital. So having experiences that are seamless, very slick, very easy to kind of go through from a consumer, from a customer point of view is really, really key. And also that allows us to scale in a way that doesn't imply lots of cost, lots of um, headcount. Mm -hmm. And then the third dimension is, and this is still very important, is like offering high class, high quality customer service. Mm -hmm. Something that, you know, actually, funnily enough, banks historically were perceived to be really bad at. I think increasingly banks are probably one of the few sectors that still have a focus on good customer service. If you think about the last two or three years of mm. customer service, it's quite hard to get hold of anyone on the phone, right? If you go, been, yeah. Uh, whereas a bank, they still invest in this. I think for us, it's about having really good retail and broker experiences. Some of our relationships are B2B, they are intermediary led. Yeah. But also, we want to make sure that we do make it easy for consumers to work with us. We give them choice. Mm. So they can dictate, but do it in a way that still offers high quality service. Mm. Um, and so the product focus is really attacking each one of those. We want to make sure that our products and the platform development has placed each one of those three different priorities mm -hmm. that we have. Interesting. So on the on the Omni point, actually, there's that's a that kind of retail finance sector has been seen a huge explosion of, sort of interest and innovation in recent years. Is there anything you can share around kind of areas you think that Omni would like to or could can innovate in? Yeah, so there's a lot. I mean, there's, I think we'll come on to talk about trends in a minute. Obviously, there's a bit of excitement at the moment around things like embedded finance, mm -hmm. yeah. which is like, you know, essentially you know, non-banks offering banking services. And yeah. I think to some extent, we're facilitating that from a lending point of view. Mm -hmm. And we have been for a little while. I think it's... It, I think we're playing into like a big shift in terms of consumer behavior and attitude around credit. Mm. So I think a lot of consumers, particularly like millennials and a kind of younger demographic, they don't like using credit cards. Mm. They have a, a different attitude towards credit in general. Mm -hmm. And so for them, the kind of, kind of accessing finance, the finance at the point of need when you're making a purchase mm. is the kind of logical way to look at credit. Yeah. Um, so it's kind of very specific. And that's essentially what Omni is doing. Mm -hmm. And what we're doing is we're partnering with pretty much every sector. So we're not sector specific. It's not okay. just about home improvement, but also we're playing into lots of themes that are really important for society. So home improvement uh, in particular is about you know, supporting people greening their house. Like, you know, it's very much addressing some of the climate change challenges we have. And that's, mm -hmm. that's a massive growth area. Mm. And then the other thing we're doing is we're really investing in making sure we've got like high quality customer experiences. So mm. about 65, 70% of our decisioning is automated. Yeah. So consumers, when they apply for us, they're getting a decision straight away, mm. and which, just, is, which is phenomenally good, right? Yeah. Compared to the experience you'd have had three or four years ago. Yes. So I guess a lot of that technology focus is also almost 
how do you become easy to integrate with and how can you sort of make that a pain as Correct. pain-free experience as possible? Correct, because you've got the, you know, a lot of what we do is, through, as, as you've said, well, through, mm. is through the retailers. Yeah. So we focus on not just the end consumer, but also how does the retailer on board with us? Mm. Obviously, a lot of it's through APIs. It's through kind of very seamless, very simple yeah. integrations. But with that, we also allow them essentially to onboard with us within days. Mm. Mm. So most retailers particularly when you're adding retailers almost every week, yeah. you need to have that slick, seamless, very simple yeah. experience. Yeah. But also through that, going back to the embedded finance point, mm-hmm. you're also you're opening up a, a whole new economic model for those retailers because mm. now they can start to offer finance that quite often is the clincher in terms of being able to convert a customer, an interested customer into a sale. Yeah. Um, and for them, there's an element of subsidy there, but actually ultimately it works mm. for them in terms of economics. Um, so that, that is quite a powerful proposition for mm-hmm. them. Mm-hmm. So from a technology point of view, do you build your own products internally, or those plat- those core platforms? You know. Um, yeah, so we do a mixture of buy and build. Mm. So on the consumer finance, we feel that it, there's an element, a strong element of differentiation. Mm. So that's where we do actually build our own product, um, and we have done for quite a while. Okay. And that's where we continue to look at where we can. I mean, part of it's about having the right features and the right kind of proposition, but it's also about having real product velocity, real agility. And so that's why we really like the idea of having our own platform, our own front end. Yeah. That we can engineer very quickly to adapt to those changes in market. Mm-hmm. In other parts of our, our business, let's take um, property, for example. Mm-hmm. We're quite happy to do more of a, a buy strategy where we go out. There's a lot of, you know, talking about fintech trends, there's a lot of great products in the market yes. now that we can purchase, you know, mm. good value offer, you know, some of it is quite commoditized. So they really offer mm. a leading market experience, but at a, at a, at a kind of, in a sort of a market where we don't really have any need or intention to build mm. our own platform. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So we're kind of looking at the combination of the two, which yes, again, we're, we're cost trust is a relatively small business mm. We're 215 employees. Okay. We've got scarce resources. It's important. We invest our resources mm. in the right thing yeah. and where we want to kind of partner, look at the good partners, Mm. making sure there's good cultural fit there and then mm-hmm. bringing them in to kind of help mm. enable where we need it to. Yes. And there's that always that line between sort of buying and building, you know, there's, there's, a, there's a complicated sort of uh, decision that, that, that kind of informs that. But I think the quite exciting thing, you know, for us now, you know, building digital products is that the bigger fintech revolution and generally the, the pace of technology change means that, you know, if you think about AML checks or identity checks or, or other ancillary services, by having built your own platform, you know, I guess it's probably a bit easier to customise and build that proposition, plugging in those different components. So there's definitely an advantage there. Definitely. So actually, so while I've got you, you're probably a good person to talk about the kind of wider sort of neobank and fintech sort of trends, having sort of been sort of involved in some of that, the, the early wave of the you know, uh, uh, neobank. Uh, um, so I guess looking back, we're a couple of years into that journey now as a market. Um, what are some of the key lessons you think we could learn from some of the successes and also some of the failures so far? So I think I would um, I would differentiate between like the fin- fintech and near banks. So I think fintech has been like for me like overwhelmingly positive because it's mm-hmm. it's done a couple of things. One is it's opened up like what was to some extent a fairly closed sort of e- financial ecosystem where you've now got like a lot of non bank products you know offering the vendors almost offering any kind of range of product or service you can think of from a financial mm-hmm. service perspective. That, that whole kind of ecosystem has developed pretty much out of scratch. Mm. And you've seen a wave of vendors and partners coming into that. And it's kind of completely, it's, it's done two things. One is provided a lot of high quality products, mm-hmm. but also uh, I think created a kind of a, a sort of attitude of partnership that was maybe lacking five years ago. So I think that dynamic, and frankly also I think bringing in a lot of value for money where actually like businesses like ours can really find great products mm. at great price. And they can do it in a way that maybe five years ago they would have spent 5X 
what they're spending now. So that, I think that's opened up a kind of enormous range of opportunities for us as businesses and banks, and I think ultimately for the consumer, because it means we're going to provide better services. I think for near banking, it's a bit more of a mixed picture, because I think what we're now, we're probably into, I think the Bank of England said last year they only authorized four, four or five banks. I think the wave is starting to decline a bit, but mm. I think what's true is most of the near banks that came in the first wave didn't have a clear enough picture of what they're, how they were going to monetize their growth. Um, and it kind of depended. So like in the case of Tandem, we had a particular focus on credit because mm-hmm. we believed that whilst you're a neobank and you're growing from a customer perspective, you need to have a route to monetization. And ultimately, we believed that one of the reasons for being a bank is you could use your balance sheet. Mm-hmm. So essentially, you're lending. Other, other banks, let's take Monzo, um, didn't have that philosophy. So they were able to prove out like more of a kind of VC model of just grow, 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 lots yeah. of customers, lots of customers. And that they did very, very well. And actually, they proved out the value in the way that Revolut did as well, the value of reality, because most of their early growth was through referrals, it was mm-hmm. through viral growth. They didn't mm-hmm. have hardly any marketing at mm-hmm. all. But what they struggled with is the sort of monetization. And yeah. I think what we're going into, and I think the last couple of years were what we've been through with um, with kind of uh, COVID and so on, is actually a kind of a realization that we need to have like stronger economics. And I think most of the near banks now are shifting their business model mm. towards more of a kind of a credit, more of a lending focus. Yeah. Um, and you'll see that in the market. So I think I think now you're either a lender and or you're looking at niches like payments. Mm. Mm. Um, and I think those are that. I think that's changed. I think the first wave was, I think mainly around trying to reinvent banking. Uh, yes. And I, rec- I can recall you probably can as well. There were lots of debates about what that means, and it was kind of intersected with new technologies and open banking and all that. And it kind of got mm-hmm. conflated into something that was arguably over quite significantly overstated. I think mm. there's almost like a kind of leveling down where there's a lot of good things that have come out of that. Yep. But ultimately, they're in a wave now where they need to kind of mature, but also start to mm. kind of solidify the growth and the kind of profitability element of their business mm. model. Yes. I guess also there's a little bit of a focus on technology and excitement. Yeah. You're talking about stuff like open banking. I mean, that was interesting because that was driven by the regulators. Uh, and some... Sometimes kind of uh, some cool features, sometimes gimmicky features, but they're kind of it wasn't necessarily clear. Like what's what's truly really beneficial for the user? What is this truly different from a uh, from a kind of incumbent bank? I think that's the thing that you know if you're that type of bank but don't have the lending arm, then you're kind of half a bank in a sense, aren't you? That that uh, and it's been interesting to see some of the sort of newer banks buying, for example, Starling buying fleet mortgages recently, those types of deals yeah. building out. I think there's probably recognition of that, that trend. So if we, um, but I think not to sort of see negative about it from an experience point of view, I think that competition has certainly made the incumbent banks kind of sharpen their tools. Uh, and I'm, I won't name the, the, the bank, but I'm banked with a, an incumbent bank. And the, you can see the pace of their product development around their app. They, I think a lot of development, you know, a few years ago was around internally focused, getting systems to the point of view, where, uh, to the, uh, up to speed to the point where you could start to innovate on a product level. And I think they're starting to move at a bit more of a pace, which has been nice to see. So competition is good. Yeah. I, guess. I think the one thing that I, I still struggle with, which I, I, um, is like the incumbent banks still don't see digital as a kind of a business in its own right. Mm. It's, it's still a channel. Mm-hmm. Um, so they'll, you know, like you, you've probably got your mobile app and you're servicing on that. Yeah. But you're not really like, you, you haven't been onboarded through that. No. But you look at like digital businesses or like tech businesses, and, mm. and really everything is about digital from the point of, you know, really from marketing yep. all the way through to onboarding, all the way through to conversion. And that was the other change that came through near banks is actually they thought about the kind of concept of a digital business where yep. 
everything from sourcing the customer through onboarding, through conversion, was all through that frame of reference. Mm. And that's still a difference, I think. But you're right. I mean, I think the kind of, I mean, again, you could overstate it, but I think what has you have seen is a complete shift in mentality mm -hmm. around digital, mm -hmm. to an extent around customer, because I think these are these new banks were very customer focused. I think yep. that that's all to the good. Yes, yes. And if we sort of think more broadly around technology, so along with this excitement around fintechs and neobanks, banks, there's been a whole wave of new technology developments in, in sort of in recent years. And I think it'd be interesting to your thoughts on as new technologies emerge. You think about the metaverse, which is kind of on trend at the moment. Uh, how do you sort of evaluate and judge when and how you adopt those technologies? It's a great question. So I think I think you made a good point in relation to open banking, right? There's a lot of mm. froth. Mm. Um, and I think the thing, I think we try and pass it into two things. So one is like where there's very immature technologies where there's a lot of froth. There's a lot of kind of like, well, this is a revolution. But is it really a revolution? Mm. Um, and I think to an extent that was true of open banking, albeit open banking wasn't really a technology, but it was a kind of a, a concept that we were talking about. But it was no, there was it's kind of wasn't really evident where the use cases was in the very early phase. So kind of for some of those, we kind of we have a view which is we'll kind of explore, we'll look to experiment, we might do a POC. But we, what we really what we really want to look for is where those technologies have obvious use cases. Mm. And quite often, I think we spend too much time. And let's take AI as another example. Mm -hmm. We spend too much time just talking about the underlying technology mm. rather than thinking about well, what's the application. Mm. Uh, so in the case of open banking. We're trying to look at like where's the application for our business. I think for open banking, a lot of it is around onboarding and, and decisioning. Yeah. So we can actually start to have slicker onboarding experiences where maybe you can through the open banking connections, you can start to facilitate you know things like KYC checks in a way that doesn't require yes. you to, to use a, a KYC bureau. Mm -hmm. But on the credit side, if you, like many millennials don't have a credit history, mm. so using open banking essentially you can start to provide slicker decisioning potentially give them a better rate than they would otherwise get. Yeah. So that's where you can kind of flip it from just being about the technology to actually where's the use case. Mm. And quite often you're stitching together technology with data, with good UX, UI. So mm -hmm. it's usually a combination of things. I think for AI, um, again, we've, we've been doing some pox on that. I think I'm, I'm really excited by kind of AI as a concept because I think like inherently banks have a, a ton of data. Mm. So you, you would expect banks to be really good at managing data. Yeah. And for some reason, outside credit, maybe we're not, we haven't nice. been. But I think inherently, if you think about the evolution of banks' models and their mm -hmm. capability, that's the obvious area of focus. Mm. So we've spent a lot of time on building out a completely new cloud data platform okay. that has the capability to start to leverage machine learning, AI. Mm -hmm. And to an extent, that's an example where actually you can deploy the technology without necessarily having obvious use cases. Yes. Because what the other thing is, you know, you can actually create the ability to adapt and evolve and just use the test and learn that you do mm -hmm. every day just to be able to mm -hmm. refine and think about where is the, the utility, where's the value. And then the other thing I really, I'm excited about is embedded finance, which we talked about mm -hmm. a little bit earlier. So that's where I think you are seeing that combination of peer-to-peer, -peer, you know, kind of like banking as a service, whatever you want to call it, where you're essentially, you've, you've created again, combinations of capability mm. that can provide really evident value for consumers. Mm -hmm. um, and we, we've been doing it from a lending point of view, but you're seeing other examples where they're deploying it from a, a bank or current account perspective, mm. where it's opening up both for retailers and for consumers access to services they would otherwise not have. Yes. And actually yeah. contextualize. I think the other thing that banks don't do very well is they don't offer services in context. Mm. So like most consumers don't think about, hey, I want a, a credit card or a loan today. 
you know, this is the, the kind of client model. They, they think about, well, actually, I've, I'm buying a service and I need access to finance. Yeah. Or I need, I'm getting to the end of the month and I've got five days and I need to consume. Mm. I've got to like smooth my, get to the end yeah. of the month and not have to get mm. slammed on, a, yes. on an expensive loan, right? Yeah. So that's, that's the kind of offering in context around a particular need mm-hmm. or service is the kind of the other thing mm. I think you can do well, which is where embedded finance really helps. Mm-hmm. And do you think that there's also been talk around this concept of kind of really personalized finance, uh, you know, thinking about how AI and plugging in open banking, plugging in these different things could enable that kind of hyper personalized underwriting, for example, et cetera. And even that, how that could change the model of, for example, mortgage products, for example. It wouldn't necessarily be, you know, choosing from a list of products, but it could be something that's more sort of actually bespoke to your your risk, even thinking about the data sets you have, you know, not just, you know, all the way from, from a servicing perspective, plugging in that data to really enrich that, that decision. Do you think, do you think that, that's, that has merit? Do you think that, that has a trend? Completely. I think, um, and I think that's the example where you take, you're taking combinations of things and, mm. and stitching it into like a service or a concept, right? Because mm. there you're taking the fact you have the data or the understanding of the customer, which is, mm-hmm. and there needs to be an element of consent here as well, right? Which is actually the customers are happy to share their data. Yeah. Which I think is is gradually improving. I think when you mm-hmm. look to open banking again, taking open banking, one of the big challenges early on was like you know customers were really un- understandably quite concerned about the risks around fraud, around well even the positioning. But we had did some testing around that, and like open and banking, like intuitively aren't words that necessarily make people yeah. super comfortable. So I think there's yeah. a branding element. Correct. Yeah. So I think some people now are calling it like universal access or something. Yes. Like that. But, yeah. But, yeah, but I think I think that I think that was that was partly going on but I think taking the kind of the data that goes with that mm. and then stitching that into something around like actually in a tech an example we looked at um, where you can essentially create like auto savings um, and that's really a combination of open banking with AI okay. and good UX mm-hmm. and essentially it's, it's personalized because it's based on the individual's savings preferences so yes. they can dictate how much they want to save every week they can dictate whether they want to do roundups yeah they can dictate do they want to do some sweeps mm-hmm, uh, and they mm-hmm. can dictate the degree to which they have a safe sort of, you know, what we call safe to save concept so that actually they could allow for a buffer mm. so they didn't run into overdrafts. Okay. And that became something where it almost became like a kind of a seamless saving service where mm-hmm. consumers didn't even think about it because mm. it was just happening in the background and the bank was doing the work and then yeah. they were just building up a savings pot. Mm. Mm. And I think that's like, a, I think a really cool concept where consumers look at that and go, well, you know, in our society, we're hardwired to spend. Mm-hmm. We're not good at saving. Mm. This is something that banks can solve by offering these types of services where yeah. as long as you're prepared to link your accounts mm-hmm. and you're prepared to share some of your data, you can, there's obvious yes. value. It, yeah. it feels like a kind of a, mm. a great consumer service that's offering, you know, this attacking and addressing a particular need that we have. Mm-hmm. I think also the exciting thing, if we think about um, AI, for example, um, going back 10 years, what you can achieve now compared to 10 years ago, at what cost you can deliver it. I mean, there's been, you know, by Google and Microsoft offering effectively, you know, on a, on a, on a SaaS basis by Azure, et cetera, access to these, these services, uh, means you can build pox, means you can sort of dip your toe in the water, I guess, to a certain degree and then prove use cases without necessarily huge investments you had before. And that's, that's, that's where these combinations of different things can sort of, uh, have serendipitous outcomes, I guess. Um, so we talk about AI, talk about embedded finance. Uh, sounds like Cast Trust aren't going to open a, a branch in the metaverse quite yet. Then, so <laughs> <laughs> no, I get asked this a bit, but I, um, yeah, we've got we made a particular choice, which is we're we're, we're going to be digital, we're going to be online. Yeah, uh, we want to offer choice, so it's not about necessarily restricting choice. So we want to broaden the kind of channels we operate in. Mm-hmm. We want to give customers the ability to 
if they want to use online, they want to use chat. If they yeah. want to phone, phone this up, absolutely they can. Yes. But really what we're trying to do is just think about what are the problems we're trying to solve in terms of the customer service rather than building a branch. I think that's a good good focus you've got. Yeah. Are there any other technologies or trends that you think, you know, the, in the world of digital banking that particularly excite you or interest you uh, this year? Yeah, I think... Um, I think there's going to still be a little bit of innovation around like um around the kind of the kind of the service dimension so we've mm. been looking at a number of different parks around service automation mm-hmm. um so I think you know I mean we talk a lot about chatbots and all that kind of stuff but I think what we're trying to look at is where we can create kind of essentially conversational UI conversational yep. service where you know, again, it comes back to this a data point. You need to have enough data to better make it sort of contextualized. Mm. It needs to be personalized. But mm. we're looking at a number of different areas where we can create out dis- distinctive service experiences mm-hmm. where you don't necessarily have to talk to a human. You can actually mm-hmm. have, you know, essentially that kind of conversational element through a kind of online channel or through a chat okay. channel. Interesting. Yeah, I mean, we've done a, a fair amount of work uh, in that mar- uh, market in recent years. And I think it's a hard one to really nail and get right because... Uh, and there's also particular use cases that work really well. And the, the key thing is around testing uh, with users and sort of, you know, I guess demographic differences. You see that people are being open to using sort of more automated conversational experiences. And also we found some kind of non-obvious, quite niche use cases, particularly around things like broker lending criteria, for example. Lots of queries coming through to call centers that don't necessarily need a human to answer that aren't perhaps immediately obvious if you think about use of chatbots, but it's those particular use cases that can make a massive difference operationally. I know with your operations hat on, that probably yeah. interests you quite a lot. Um, yeah, completely. And actually, the, so the two things we've been looking at, one is exactly that, where you've got like, um, particularly an intermediary model, where you've got mm. those types of questions where you can actually, there's a lot of reference, a lot of data points, and you can actually build something that's yeah. very, for, you know, it's not doesn't have to be particularly complex, but actually mm. addresses that need. The other one is we're looking at just where we've got high-frequency interactions like, in consumer finance anomaly is quite often around payments mm. okay. um, and looking at how do we provide sort of slicker interactions there. So simple so servicing activities. Correct. And, yeah. and so you don't, so you avoid that situation where consumers don't make their payments on time mm. and then you're into sort of the, sort of the arrears and the kind of collection cycle. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. that's an, that's an obvious kind of, I don't know if you want to call it a moment of truth, but it's an obvious area where you could really solve problems and do it in a way where you don't have to throw yes. all of that to a human and, they, and the consumer still feels like they're getting a, to yes. a degree, a fairly personalised service because it's addressing the particular problem they have. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I think, so I think, yeah, you're right. I think with with this particular kind of, and we've been looking at like you know RPA as well. But mm-hmm. I, I mean, some mm-hmm. of it, this, it, you kind of need to have a, a compelling business case. I think mm-hmm. to some extent, like particularly on robust, robotic process automation, it feels like you're kind of experimenting for the sake of it. Mm-hmm. So we've been trying to be quite precise about where we deploy these things okay. because you could end up creating lots of pocks mm-hmm. without an obvious. Yes. Yeah. Case. Yes. Yeah. So it sounds like you've had a, a busy first year or so. Uh, lots going on. What's on the horizon for Cast Trust the rest of the year? Any, any of these things that we'll see sort of coming to market? Yeah, so we're we're doing this kind of two big areas of focus for the moment. One is we're in line with the growth we're doing on the property business. We're about to embark on a wholesale replatforming. Okay. So that's about creating a new, essentially a new origination platform for our brokers. Okay. Which will, you know, going back to the theme earlier, just provide a nice slick onboarding experience, but provide a lot more automation around pricing, around decisioning, mm-hmm. um, around document management, which obviously is critical within a mortgage sort of product. Yeah. Um, and ally that with actually some self-service capability as well. So particularly for our, our end consumer, they can start to look at things like redemption statements. They can start to okay. see for those critical moments, not for everything, but for those critical moments, mm-hmm. they've got that 
kind of that online experience that mm-hmm. will just kind of help provide better quality experience. Yes. And underpinning that, we're essentially going through a kind of complete revamp of all of our front end and back end um, mortgage platforms for mm-hmm. both our sales and underwriting teams and for our servicing teams. Okay. So that's a kind of multi-year significant investment, you know, in, in mm-hmm. that whole kind of property business. Yeah. At the same time, we're looking on the Omni side of like, how do we continue to improve the retail experience? So mm-hmm. we're looking at, you know, sort of the next version, the next kind of generation of APIs that we're developing mm-hmm. for our retailers yeah. to make sure we remain competitive and we keep focusing on the onboarding experience there. And in the background, um, the other thing we're doing is as we grow, we essentially want to create like a kind of what we're calling like a one bank platform. Okay. Which is like an underlying, obviously all based in the cloud, but an underlying capability that has a single view of data, mm-hmm. a single view of our infrastructure that's very scalable, very adaptive, allows us to innovate, allows mm-hmm. us to kind of, as we talked about, you know, incorporate new technologies, you know, plug and play in terms of mm-hmm. any SaaS integrations we have as we start to evolve the business. Mm-hmm. And potentially if we're looking at m and allows us to incorporate those portfolios or those businesses in a much yeah. more agile, much more flexible way. Mm-hmm. So whilst we have these different businesses, these different segments, I think from a technology point of view, we want to make sure we've got kind of a spine, if you like, that allows us to adapt and scale mm-hmm. and does it in a way that's mm-hmm. cost of effective. And to your point earlier, Mark, we're trying to exploit these technologies because the, you know, the explosion of cheap computing power, mm-hmm. data, AI, all of these things, the yes. kind of the API banking concepts, these are all things that we want to embrace, mm-hmm. do it in a way that's appropriate for Castle Trust, but allow us to grow and scale and be innovative. Um, so it's going to be Another busy year ahead, I think. So you've cancelled a holiday this year, then? So yeah. <laughs> yeah, not quite, but yeah, I've got a few holidays from last year I need to fulfill this year. Yes. But yeah, Sounds give me good. a good year ahead. Sounds good. Well, it's been fascinating to chat and find out a bit more about yourself and the, and the background. I look forward to seeing the developments uh, over the coming years. Thanks, Mark. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Pleasure. And um, thanks to our audience for listening.